Welcome back, Rage Nation. Definitely not PR friends. Myself, Pete. He needs to stop, like, fucking getting cute with these kicks. John the Mountain Man Stokes. You're not putting them on my models, motherfucker. Chris the non-tech Asian. Put the tape measure up and get some wages. You, yeah, no, you really frustrated me. You walked away and you came back and your scalp would be thrown across the room. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. I will will share with you my one rage quit story. You know, I'm a robot and I don't have a solo or personality. Eight. This is going to be a really great opportunity for everybody to see how you effed up. Welcome back, Rage Nation. We are back again and we're going to go ahead and hey, get started. Hey, with hey Pete, hey Pete, I got something for you. Dude, that was rude. Well, you know, that's how I am. Um, so <laughs> have you seen anything about like this new God tier stuff? I mean, I've seen a lot of people excited about it and I've even heard a couple of Malifaux podcasts talking about it. So I'm so, kind of interested. Um, I got like the, do you remember like the old play test kit that they like put online a while back? Talking about like the Kickstarter? No, no, no. Before that, like the one that you did directly from Steamforge. Okay. Yeah. So um, I got that, and I think I've mentioned that to you before, or that I was planning on getting it before on the podcast, but I finally got it. Yeah, those models are sweet. But, and they're pretty cool, but uh, we haven't played this yet. So I was like, you know what? It would probably be good to find out a little bit about this game. So I have a surprise for you. We have a very special guest from okay. across the seas. The one and only Jamie Perkins. Hello. <laughs> that, that's a surprise. <laughs> so I figured there's no one better to talk to us and answer all of our questions than the guy that made this up. So, <laughs> or had a big role in making this up. So uh, I got Jamie and uh, Pete. I know you're going to have some questions that like right off the top of your head, but I'll let you kind of put together some thoughts. I guess the first thing I kind of want to get started with, Jamie, is why don't you tell us a little bit about the genesis of God Tier? Like, you guys have had Guild Ball. We love Guild Ball. Here you have a successful game. It's doing well. And you guys decide to take things in another direction and devote time to something else. Tell us a little bit about, like, how God Tier came about. What was the acorn that grew into this? So, um, God Tier just just as like as Guild Ball was like the the baby of Matt Matt Hart and Rich Locksham together. Um, God Tier was a little bit more of specifically the baby of Matt Hart, and he started talking about God Tier like a long time ago. Actually, it's it's had a long run up, which is um, sort of just after the initial release of Guild Ball, which would have been what like four years ago now. Um, he actually started talking about God Tier since then. Um, now. Between now and then, a heck of a lot happened. Has happened to God Tier. Uh, it in in its in its in its creation. It, it's been every game, and it's been no game. It's been it's been a MOBA. It's been uh, a, a, it's been a bit of War Machine. It's been a little bit of Warhammer Fantasy. It's a bit of everything. Thing with the thing with um, working with Matt Hart is, as you probably might guess from meeting him, is he's an extremely excitable person. He's <laughs> he just he loves games in all their forms. He loves tabletop games in every form they come in. The problem is this: is when he comes across. You know, trying to make a new game that he's excited about, and he gets excited about so much stuff, he wants to put everything he possibly can into the game. Why? Like, yeah, like, I'm yeah. not joking when I say that God's here in its lifetime has been everything and nothing. Like, yeah, a lot of things. And then 
takes a lot of time for that to settle down. And then we were like, okay, fine. God tier currently is about 12 different things. We need to lower that down to about three or four. So let's just start cutting these out one at a time. And all of those are all of those are very interesting conversations to have. Uh, but eventually we sort of nail it down to, to, to where it is. When, when Matt came to you with this idea, mm. what was his premise? I want to create a game that is... Like he just wanted something that had more monsters because Guild Ball has all humans, or like like what was what was the initial concept, or or what was he trying to convey, or what did he want to be entertained by? So the the, the two things that have been a constant for God's Tier through its entire life has kind of been this the the idea of what the world and what the law was going to be like. Um, the the so the universe has been set for quite a long time. And the other part of it as well is that it was going to be always going to be set in classic fantasy. So whereas Guild Ball, you know, is very is very low fantasy. It's basically just humans and a couple of other bits and pieces that are human creations or animals. Like there's no there's no dragons or or you know or other elements of elves or orcs or anything like that. All of that stuff is in God tier. So we definitely knew it wanted to be, to be classic fantasy races, um, but with a bit of our own spin on it. And then the so the, as I say, the the law and the law for God tier is that. In the universe of gods here, the gods have died, and when they died, they kind of exploded, and their essence fell to ground, fell to the ground, uh, and destroyed everything on on the planet. Um, and uh, where, and these these shards of the gods have been sort of embedded into the ground, and then whenever it is that life has sort of started up again on the planet, and beings have encountered these these sort of giant pieces of gods, you know, most people when they touch. The, one of these pieces of a god, they'll basically just disintegrate. It'll be kind of like that scene for the end of Indiana, Indiana Jones, we just melt. Uh, but there are occasional oh, beings that can pick up one of these god tier essence, these, these essence of the god, and then absorb it into themselves and sort of become bigger and stronger. And it kind of becomes a little bit like Highlander at that point, where you're just trying to hunt down other other god tiers and other champions to take them down. And then eventually, they'll, you know, the, cha- the, the concept is that once you've down to a couple of champions that are sort of like huge titanic size they will eventually ascend become the next gods and then you know eventually they will die as well explode and the entire cycle starts again it's kind of like universe cycle that happens a number of times which is why i think when we originally uh, talked about god tier for like the kickstarter we we talked about it as in battles of the 11th age because the, the idea was that this cycle has happened 11 times okay yeah i i, I well i like what i'm hearing because i love that fantasy type of stuff is is the lore being written by Sherwin? Is he kind of taking the lead on this like he did with Guild Ball? Um, it's, it's actually two people working on it. Sherwin's one of them. We've also got another guy uh, working uh, for my development team, a chap called Richard August, who's one of our sort of more recent hires. Um, and his, he's got a lot of background in working in uh, role-play games. And he, him and Sherwin are sort of working hand-in-hand hand on um, sort of developing the lore for the World of God tier. That's that's really cool. Is is this lore available someplace conveniently, or is it to be released more? Because that's one thing I didn't see a lot of. I kind of looked on the website and I saw tidbits about which characters are in which boxes and those types of things, but I didn't see a lot of links for like lore. Is that somewhere on the website? Will you release it later? Um, so there's not a lot of it out at the moment. The, the bits and pieces of it that are out are very, very small tidbits. There, there are snippets that are on the champion boxes, and there are snippets that are in the rulebook itself, the, the core rulebook. Uh, but there's not really a lot of lore out there right now. And honestly, off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly how we're going to be deploying the lore. So you're going to be, that's a, a, to be confirmed on that one. Uh, but I know that it's, it's, you know, it's something that's in progress. Um, okay. it, the main okay. thing that we were kind of working on at first was we knew that we wanted the classic fantasy setting and we wanted to get the mechanics of the game really well grounded. The just 
honestly, the law is something that we worked on as a secondary element after we did the mechanic again. Okay. I know that Pete's probably chomping at the bit to start asking about some mechanics things, but I'll ask you one more lore <laughs> question uh, before we move on. Um, I've heard people say different things that like the lore of God tier takes place in the same world as Guild Ball, but like, you know, eons past or that it's completely separate. Like, is this something from the same world or is this something that is completely its own? Like how much, how much overlap is there? Uh, to my knowledge, there is absolutely no overlap whatsoever. Like the God tier okay. is something that is completely and utterly, absolutely separate from the universe of Guild Ball. Pete, I'm sure you're chomping at the bit, so I'll let you kind of <laughs> ask some questions about, you know, how we get started with God tier that I know you've been wanting to know. <laughs> well, well, I mean, the main thing is like that I noticed a difference in is that it, it looked like that God tier kind of has like a phase system, Jamie. So I was just wondering if you could for those of us that are just getting into this kind of God tier game, how do those phases kind of generally break down and like, what are you trying to do in each one? Yep. So um, God tier plays over uh, a maximum of five turns. Um, the aim of God tier is to, is to get um, five victory points and you get victory points by winning turns. So turn one is worth one point. For instance, if you win turn one, you get one point. Uh, the turns are worth different numbers of points. So it's, it goes uh, one, then two, then three, and then two, then one. Um, and the intention there is that you've got this kind of build towards the the end of the game and that the game only finishes when someone has five points. And what that actually results in is that the game only ever ends when someone is completely out. Um, I'm just going to step back for, from the question for a second. You might have to remind me what the question is because I can definitely ramble about things. One of the key ideas going into God Tier is, um, and this is a big driving force for whenever Matt Hart designs, uh, designs games like this, is that He's looking for things that he doesn't enjoy or that we don't enjoy about other games that exist out there or common problems that we don't want to see in our games. And a common problem that we didn't want to see with Gods here is that what can happen um, in some games is you can play the first turn of a big of a big skirmish or big battle game. You can have a bad first turn and be like, ah, oh, I know I've already lost this game. I'm just going to have to play this out for the next hour and a half, but I know I've already lost. Yeah, yeah. that fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's a horrible feeling. That literally can't happen in God tier. Um, like, you can win the game up and, and, and uh, for every moment that you're playing the game. And the moment you can't win the game anymore, it ends. So you don't have any of this drag whatsoever. If I know I've lost the game, I just wish it was over now. Like, the moment you have lost the game, the game stops. Yeah, Jamie, the, the good example of that is I saw, I was watching Guerrilla Gaming and they they played it out and Ash's side just got stomped. So he lost turn one, two, and three, and the game just ended. He didn't he didn't have to drag that out. It wasn't like, okay, I got another hour of getting my ass kicked. It's like it was just done, which I thought was great. For sure, for sure. That's that's um carried out through that's a bit a really big strong theme throughout all of the mechanical elements of, of God Tier. Um, like how the turns are set up, how the points reset between each turn, so that every turn is you're literally playing five mini battles. Um, if you play the full five turns and every one of them is a battle that you need to win to win the game. Um, and once you've won enough of them to win the game, the game stops, as I say. Anyway, I'm meandering. So the question was about phases. So yep. each of those five turns breaks down into two phases. That is the plot phase and the clash phase. And the original concept for those was that Matt was really interested in having both like a sh an overall strategic view of the game where you're playing with this, you've got feel of playing with this whole army at once and getting to move lots of bits and pieces and, do, and set up combos. And then the clash phase, which is kind of like if you imagine the camera then zooming in and you're looking at an individual unit at a time and you're doing very precise tactical movements and doing cool stuff and, and blowing things up and taking things out. 
So in the plot phase, what effectively happens is it's about maneuvering your army into place, ready for the fight. So uh, everything in your army will activate at once, or you'll activate, sorry, you'll activate everything in your army sequentially. Um, so, so if you, you're playing usually with three champions, which have three follow units as well, so you'll get to activate six things. They will all move forwards. You'll position them ready for the fight. Your opponent will then do the same. They'll move everything, position them ready for the fight. And then the clash phase will happen. Then, then it switches to uh, alternating activations, where the player that went first will do one activation of a champion or a follower unit, and then the opponent will do a champion or a follower unit. And the clash phase is where a lot more of the combat in the game happens, where it's a lot more being destroyed. Not a lot of combat happens in the plot phase at all, um, generally. There are some things that can attack in the plot phase, but most of the fight, the actual fighting happens in the clash phase. Um, and this all feeds into the idea I was talking about earlier, where the game can really reset between each turn, because not only are like, the points for the turn resetting, um, but everyone's getting to do their plot phase and move around, and no one's getting attacked. Not many people are getting attacked in the plot phase. So if you're sort of badly set up in one turn, you can reposition a lot of your army a little bit for another fight in the following turn. So everything is... like I wasn't joking when I was saying like it's five of mini-battles. Yeah. When it comes to winning a turn itself, basically everything you do scores you points on a on a track at the side of the of the board called the battle ladder. So that's a, it's a, a it's a ladder with it's a, with twenty spaces on it, twenty steps, and there's a token that sits in the middle. Um, and every time you do something that scores a point, you move the token towards your end of the battle ladder. And every time your opponent does something that scores points, they move it the other way. And it's this you've got the sort of tug of war mechanic. And literally, who's ever side of the battle ladder. Okay, on the end of the turn, they win the turn. Yeah, Jamie, I thought that was a good visual for the player like Chris who needs to kind of see how the turn's going. Because, uh, yeah, sometimes I feel like Chris forgets how he's going to win the game. And when there's a ladder like that going back and forth, I feel like that helps Chris a lot. Well, and a lot of times I'm the type of person where, damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. Like, if I, if I, for good or ill, like, there are times where I get tunnel vision. Um, but there's also times where, like, I just have that bad turn and I'm just like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to, like, try and blow stuff up while I can. Um, yeah. So I, I like the I like the idea that, like, one one turn isn't, you know, the turn one isn't destroying your entire game. And then I also like the idea of, like, being able to see that pull back and forth mechanic. Uh, is, is that what you meant by somebody once mentioned that it has, like, almost like an elastic band mechanic where you're able to get a little bit more pull based on how things are going for you. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, this idea, this concept I was saying before about everyone is playing very aggressively and for the win, you don't get very much standoff play. There's no point doing that at all. It's very much everyone's playing offensively. Everyone's taking stuff out and there's no reason to hold back. Um, this, this idea is permeates throughout the entire game. So where this idea comes from is that when you uh, lose a turn, so let's say me and you are playing a game, Chris, and I win the first turn. Um, but you will. You'll get control over two things. You'll get to choose who gets to go first in the following turn. You get that choice. And in addition to that, every single scenario in the game, of which there are six currently, um, they all change. They all manipulate in some way, and you basically choose how that happens. So to take an example, a very basic scenario that most people play first is life. And in life, there are four objective hexes in the middle of the board. That's where you place your banners and that's where you score a lot of your points. It's where objective hexes are, where, are around where a lot of the fight happens. They're very important for a scenario. Um, well, they literally are the scenario. So at the end of the turn for life, you roll uh, a god tier die and you add two to it. And that is the number of extra objective hexes that you can place on the board adjacent to any existing objective hex. 
So you can literally build the scenario any way you choose. You could snake it off into one corner. You could build it up a really big bubble. Um, in addition to that, objective factors are important for how things move because literally no followers apart from one special unit can move into objective hexes so you can block the movement of follower units by placing them in a particular way mm. uh, you know you can place them closer to your champions for easier banner placement and and that's just one of the scenarios all of the other scenarios are manipulated in some way at the end of the turn and you get to choose how that happens so you have like a minor advantage going into the following turn. The, the game is kind of built so that if someone it's very difficult to win two consecutive turns in a row not so much that it's impossible you get like between a five and ten percent advance if i wasn't to put a number you you have a head start in the following turn now you kind of already alluded to this jamie but there are different ways of scoring besides just you know killing your opponent's models so can you just run down real quick what those ways are for those of us that haven't kind of gotten into it yet absolutely there are, there are four ways of scoring points on the battle ladder one of them is by taking out or knocking out enemy champions that gets you four points um, knocking out each enemy follower gets you one point for each of them. Planting Your champion planting a banner in an objective hex immediately gets you one point. You can only do that in the plot phase. Uh, and if your banner lasts until the entire end of the turn, um, and it's still there at the end of the turn, you get four more points for it. So defending your banner is worth a lot of points. And to, to sort of allude as to how difficult it is to protect your banners, as soon as an enemy champion walks into an objective hex banner in it, they just crush it. It's happened. And did I did I see it right, Jamie, that your champions, like you guys have a different classification system where some of them score extra points for doing one of those things? Yeah, all of them do. There, there are four champion classes in the game uh, and they all specialize in slightly different things. Um, so the because there are four ways of scoring points, there are four classes of champions. So there are slayers who get a bonus point for taking out enemy champions and they are proficient at doing so. There are maelstroms who are proficient at taking out followers and they get a bonus point for each follower they take out. Um, there are shapers who are kind of like your wizards and mages. Uh, they, they're quite good at manipulating the battlefield and moving things around. They don't tend to take things out as much, but they'll, they'll do a lot of your shifting and pulling and push-pull stuff. Um, they get an extra point every time they plant their banner. Uh, and guardians that are kind of like your big tanks and they're very resilient and good at protecting banners and your other units. Uh, and they get extra points if their banner is there at the end of the turn because they've outlasted everyone else. So they all get a bonus doing one of those particular things. Well, cool. So if if I murder Chris's entire champ or his champion and all of his followers, is Chris just done for the game, or is there a way for him to kind of climb back in it? No, absolutely. Uh, there, there, there absolutely is. And again, this is kind of I'm going to return to this overarching idea of that you're never out until you're out. Um, when yeah. I specifically knock out champion and followers because you're not really killing them or with with champions anyway. When you when you knock out when you knock out a champion, you get your four to five points on the battle ladder. You can move that champion up to two hexes because you've kind of like hit them with such force that they fly back or whatever. Um, That's all. And they, when they next activate, they just have to spend one action to do a rally. What that does is that clears all the damage that's on them, and then they just carry on as normal. Um, so all it really does is it, it score a boatload of points and knock it one out, and then they just lose an action. So they lose an action economy. So no champion ever dies. So you're always trying to play with your toys. The same thing is can be said to the followers. It's slightly different. So. When you knock out a follower, um, they can make uh, a recruit action. So they spend an action to get one of their followers back. They can even do this if there are no followers on the board. They still have an activation and they can still recruit. You have basically these unnamed people. Uh, they're, they're red shirts in the game. You get an unlimited supply of them. So every time you activate them, you can just do a recruit action and get a follower back. Okay. Thank you for carrying that over from like Guildball because, I mean, I think that there are so many games where I've played that, you know, you kill a key element of your your faction or your team or whatever and then 
you're just like fucked for the rest of the game because like you ha- don't have that one piece that makes everything go. And so I, I love that about Guild Ball that you get to bring guys back on the on the table. And yep. I have a strong feeling I'm going to love that about this game that I get to keep playing with my favorite pieces. Absolutely. And and it, we even take it like I think we take it to an even more extreme level because you always get an equal number of activations. Like even if all of the followers in an entire unit are dead, you still get to activate the unit, do a recruit action, and then you've still got another action to like that one guy that comes back can move or can shoot or can do a can use one of his abilities, you know. Um you, you're always getting those six activations. You don't even have activation advantage at any point in the game. Oh awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw that in the in the play video, and it was pretty sweet. And the next thing I was going to ask Jamie that it didn't the starter boxes they come with the two factions, but I was going to ask you kind of like how the hero construction goes for like when I drop stuff on a table in like a normal game. Like how many heroes do I get? How many followers can I bring? Like how does that work as far as um, the gameplay goes? So it's very straightforward. Um, the the game is factionless, completely factionless. So you uh, can get as many you know you can take your entire collection of champions you pick any three that you want to play with any three at all and you play with those champions and it's as simple as that each champion comes with a specific follower unit you can't you don't get any choice in the follower units if you pick the champion you get their follower unit um, and then you play with those with those the three that you make sure you all band but there are a heck of a lot of things that feed into your champion selection um so it could be, do I want to play with, I like to smash things to pieces, so maybe I'm going to play with two Slayers this time. Um, or actually, I need to make sure I take out all my opponent's followers, so I'm going to play more Maelstrom. You know, it, this is also like, you, your, your decision can be formed by what kind of champions you want to play with. It can also be formed by what is your favorite classic fantasy race. Just because just because there are no factions doesn't mean that you can't go, I'm going to play with all the elves, or I'm going to play with the, the orcs and goblins. Like You can you can construct your, your uh, warband however you like. Cool. Yeah, and something else that I really, I didn't, when you guys introduced the game, I didn't think I would like this uh, back when we went to SteamCon. And the more I've actually been playing Magic the Gathering, I've been playing that a lot, which I've been in basically our local card shop. And it's nice to just kind of sit down at a table and play a game and your opponent, you're just sitting there and playing. Was that kind of like the feel you wanted with this game that you could just like, hey, let's just sit down at a table. Let's put this weird shaped board down and let's just play a relatively quick game. Because, I mean, the gameplay I watched, it only took probably about 30 minutes to play out. So is that kind of the feel you guys were going with this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there are a lot of things that factor into, um, I mean, one, obviously how we want to make the game, but also trying to make a game that people are going to like, right? And one of those sort of less uh, less fancy elements about a game, but it's still super important, is is time. One of the more modern constraints about about gaming is that people only have so much time to play their, their games. So it's if you can, it, you know, if you can make a game that doesn't take hellish long time to play, then suddenly more people can fit it into their schedule. And even if they, because sometimes somebody can go, I really like this game, but I just don't have time to play it. And if you can make that not a problem for your game, you're so much more likely to get played. Yeah. So what do you guys feel like the average gameplay length is? Um, it's. I think in the box it says 45 to 60 minutes. I think if you're learning the game, it will go longer than that. You can sort of, you could do 90 minutes to two hours if you're, you know, if you're just taking your time and learning the game. And, but yeah, you absolutely can play this game in under an hour. That's, all, that's always good to hear. So is this a game that you've created? Like, Guild Ball is very much a 
dream game for like competitive type players, people that want a balanced game that is able to be a tournament type game. Is this game designed to do that same type of thing? Do you imagine that there will be God tier tournaments that are a beer and pretzels game? Uh, it's, I guess it's somewhere kind of in the middle. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that game of God tier, the base game of God tier, I think is very well balanced. Some elements to it that make it a bit more of a beer and pretzels game than uh, Guild Wars. Specifically, if you want to look at like the dice mechanics, if you look at the average, uh, or not the average so much as of the, of the dice, the dice are designed to be a little bit well to be quite spiky. Um, it's like the average die roll, I think, is like 0.83 or something like that uh, on a single die. But there is a two there's a two symbol side on there, and there's a blank side on there. So you can completely whiff attacks. You can go in and go, I only have three dice. That's cool. I rolled six. They're, they're intentionally designed to be a little bit more spiky. In addition to that, we're campaign players, something that's very important to the game for us. Um, we released a campaign alongside the Kickstarter. We're already working on following campaigns that are coming up, uh, going to come up as well in the future. And campaign play changes the way the game operates. And it's meant to be uh, like, it's meant to push that beer and pretzels onto the game where people that are perhaps not so much fans of tournaments can just go to either like a, a campaign day, campaign event, or a campaign league throughout the weeks or whatever they want to do and play a game and, and enjoy it that way. We put quite a lot of time into making sure those um, campaigns are very easy to run and very easy to take part in, very simple, but you also get quite a lot from them. There's like a champion leveling system. If you've, if you've played Rookie League, it's not a million miles away from how Rookie League worked in terms of how your champion and leveling works. Abilities, additional stats, that kind of thing. And they're not brand new cards, but you, you get additional bits for your champions you want to play with. Yeah, and I know I know some people really get into like list building and stuff, but I, I will say I like how you can mix the factions, but I also enjoy how you don't have to sit there for like hours and kind of like, okay, what upgrades do I want to bring? You know, because we're playing Malifaux right now a little bit, and it's kind of a little bit of that where I enjoy the list building, but I also like coming back to a game where it's like, okay, let me just put the models down and let's just play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, like uh, the game has kind of been designed from the ground up to, to be able to play with that function in mind. Something that, that Matt Hart says quite a lot is the Christmas Day test. And I think that God Tier tends to pass the Christmas Day test with flying colors uh, because literally all of the champions, the core set, you can literally just rip open a box and start playing the game. Um, there's, no, there's no putting anything together. The models already look great exactly as they are. You can already identify everything immediately because of all the nicely colored you know, plastics that are inside there and they, t- they identify the champion classes for you. It's, you know, it's intentionally designed to be simple to, simple to set up, simple to play. Um, the mechanics are very straightforward to learn. Um, the, tra- the thing I love personally about God Tears probably the most is that all of the choices that you make are very simple. The depth that comes to it is how you layer those choices together. What order you choose to make those choices in is very important. But actually just mechanically playing the game itself is really straightforward. Yeah, I did notice that too because when I was watching the gameplay video, it, it was it was simple to catch what they were doing. But then when you started seeing like blocking like avenues of approach and then uh, using the plot phase to kind of like maneuver your your faction to maybe a more um, beneficial position, I was just like, okay, that's where the intricacy of this game is coming in. Yep, absolutely. I'm just going to return to your question a little bit earlier about like ways in which we're trying to push the game. Uh, that's because I didn't mention tournaments. But we're not. We're not sort of emphasizing tournaments quite as much as we are with campaign play with God Tier, but there is a tournament document that is out there on the website, and there are tournaments that are going to exist for the game. We will still run tournaments as we will uh, at you know at conventions and the shows we're at. But the thing that we want to make sure that we're doing with God Tier that we actually think we didn't do so well with Guild Wars, we always tried to. 
had to offer us of slightly more casual campaign elements to build well, and we didn't do it successfully, and we were really trying to learn from our uh, mistakes and everything um, to offer more than just uh, games. There is a side to go to. There is also we kind of want to encourage people to try both. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, I I, I appreciate that. I I I think that a a good game would be able to have really either component, and I think Guild Ball does have either component, although it is obviously weighted toward that competition well, tournament I th- side. I think you also look at it, right? It's just, if I was a business and I'm looking at my product, it's kind of like you have more casual players than you do competitive players. Like, yeah, you do have like the competitive side, but I'd say most of your players are just kind of like your average Joe just want to come in and play at the store and they're not going to travel. They're just looking for a game. And I think it's smart to make a game that's centered around that group. Well, and I don't know if you remember, Pete, I, I don't know if uh, we shared this story on the podcast, but um, Jamie, you know the Marvel Crisis Protocol game that came out recently, right? You've seen that, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. So, for sure. Right. I, I, I was talking with Pete about this, and I think we did talk about this on the podcast, but then what happened was I went into our local game shop final round, and I made the comment to Jacob, who owns the shop, I'm like, so are you worried about like a lot of parents coming in and buying this Marvel game, thinking that it's going to be something for like their kids on Christmas. And then it's, you have to build the models and paint the models and you have a more complex rule system than a regular board game. And Jacob was like, Oh shit. Like he was not at all. Like he didn't even consider that element that like, this is a legit tabletop miniatures game. This is not, designed for like the casual fan of marvel uh that doesn't want to put any effort into building models and painting models and all that kind of stuff and so um it seems like god tier is going to definitely be able to do that where you know a a parent can pick this game up and just say hey let's let's try this game out and yeah they're gonna break out just the the two champions and followers that are in that core box. I, I think it comes with the core box comes with two. Is that right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and they'll be able to play that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've been, I've been doing this myself. I mean, my, uh, <laughs> I mean, my, um, maybe I, I haven't got the great best example. Cause my, my stepdaughter has always been in, really interested in the games that I, that I help make. Uh, and, uh, I think at one point she was actually enlisted as a play tester for Guild Ball. <laughs> um, so perhaps not the, best, <laughs> not the best example in hindsight, but she, <laughs> because she's already kind of experienced in games, but, um, yeah, she, she took God tier straight away and got it after the first event. But a better example would be that I've seen on social media, on the, on the, on Twitter and on Facebook, you know, multiple posts from parents going, I've played this with my son. I've played this with my daughter and they picked it up straight away and thought it was fantastic. Now, Jamie, we've we've seen the metal models because Chris has the metal ones that he got, but I haven't hey, got my hand. Alternate sculpts, by the way, but yeah, okay, exclusive. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the plastics that come in those starters, like, uh, are they? They're not. I, I I would guess by this point they're not the same quality as the old kickoff models, where they're kind of rubbery. Are these kind of more like towards because they're PVC? Is that correct? Yes, they're very very solid. Um, you could. You could you could drop any one of the plastic models for God Tear down the stairs and it will be in one piece at the bottom and it will not have really shown any signs of damage whatsoever. Um, like these things, these things are really tough. Well, good. I'll have to get the starter and put that to the test then, Jamie. I guess. <laughs> that that's great for throwing when I get frustrated. <laughs> Dude, I don't know what that big demon-looking one you have is, Chris, but that guy, if you threw that, would put somebody in a coma. 
<laughs> the one with the horns and all that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay. So this brings me to my to something else that I need to know, Jamie. You know me pretty well. You know my personality. Um, you know I'm gonna just want to run around and kill stuff, right? So, I mean, if you were giving me advice, what what models am I definitely going to want to play? And do I need to temper that desire to kill stuff? Am I able to? You know, am I able to put together a team that just goes around and kills things, or do I need to at least choose one model that's more of a, you know, control style model? Like, give, give me some advice as far as me building my first team. Keep in mind that I have that playtest kit, those six, those six crews, but I, 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 I'm planning on getting more. So, what, what, what advice do you have for me? So you're kind of you're actually kind of very similar to me. Uh, you, you're going to like playing red and yellow, which is uh, slayers and maelstroms, and you absolutely can. Just ex- if you wanted to focus on just one color, I mean, I'd probably advise two, um, but you probably just want to focus. If you just want to focus on one color, you absolutely can. I'm actually going through a little bit of experiments at the moment where I'm trying to play with all flares just to see how that goes. I'm having a hell of a time. It's great. I'm really enjoying it. Um, but you, you can absolutely just play one to two classes of champions if you want to, if you want to do that. Uh, for you, I would specifically recommend Slayers and Maelstroms. So in the set that you're going to have from the early access kit, that's going to be Rangosh. That's the big horn demon guy. Um, Lawsan is a slayer as well. That's that's the elf with a bow, uh, and you probably also have um, Blackjaw. I think that's a, a orc maelstrom. He's the guy. He's yeah, the, he, he has Blackjaw. Um, so you absolutely can just play with those three. Banner placement is very important. Making sure you get some banners down, uh, and even when you're playing the killing models, you still want to make sure you're putting some banners down to contest the banner game. Um, the reason that that's actually quite straightforward to do is because in the plot phase, it's very rare that people get to make attacks, and that's when your banners get to place. So you're actually not losing many attacks to place banners with, even when you're playing Slayers and Maelstrom. Does that make some sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that does. And Chris, I, I think another thing you'll appreciate, Chris, is that, like, like Jamie was saying, that you put down the god tier tiles, those objective tiles, and they're depending on the scenario. But the one I watched, it was in the middle. And that just, in, you know, is an incentive for like the fighting and the competing to happen in the middle. So those games, Chris, where you're like, I wish that guy wouldn't have ran like a little bitch. This is a game where I think you won't get a lot of that because a lot of the points happen in a central area. Yeah, yeah. that's when I'll be like, run to me, you little bitch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's an incredibly strong play to go with your Slayers and Maelstroms. Go first, plant all of your banners in the middle of the table and then go come at me. If you don't, I'm going to win on banners. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Now, Jamie, looking at the starter boxes, um, what are the play style? Because I saw there's two. Is there two starter boxes? Is that right? Yes, there's two starter boxes because we wanted to make sure we had at least one of every champion class in the starter boxes. So there are two. Ah, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, one of them contains uh, a maelstrom and a guardian, and the other one contains a slayer and a uh, shaper. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, because I noticed that they they looked like they played different. I was, and I'm glad to hear that was intentional because that definitely was was kind of cool to see that they have different play styles in the starters yeah yeah absolutely uh and i mean what, what will what, what will often happen because we we're also trying to get our heads into the mentality of a gamer uh, or if you go into a show and picking stuff up and if you're there on your own you can pick up one star set and you'll do you'll do perfectly fine and you'll probably it's enough to go home and try the game and see if you want to pick up more stuff if you're there with a friend some sometimes people want to go you know what let's split the starter box between us actually no you don't have to do that just get a different one each and then you can play together you can swap models around which ones you like like it, it gives you good options for whether you're going in on this on your own or going in with a friend but eventually you will so if you just have a starter box eventually you will need to at least buy another box to create the three that you need to play a full game right is that correct yeah, in understanding if, 
Yeah, for sure. If you, if you decide you want to play a full size game, um, then yeah, you you're gonna need to to get at least one of the one of the champion box. But at that point, that's kind of when the world is your oyster. The intention being that you've played with just your star box, you have a, a bit of an idea of how the game works, and you have an idea of how you want to play the game. So then you've got a bit of a better view to look back at the rest of the champions and be like, this is how I want to play the game. What champions? Like, I know I like the red guys. What other red guys have I got the choice from? You know. Um, and then you can go and literally build out your roster however you like. Or you can be that guy that goes in and goes, you know what, I'm going to buy everything because I want to play with all this stuff. And that's- I've seen a few of those on Twitter, Gamey, where they they have come home with their huge box full of all the god tier. And I'm like, dude, you're in it to win it. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, I've, I've got, obviously I've got all my god tier that I'm able to play with now. And I love just messing around with the different champion boxes and just putting different combinations together. And seeing what silly ways it can play. Like if you if you did, I think at retail at the moment we're 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 at the point where we're getting most of the re, of the Kickstarter stuff is at retail now. Um, but if you if you back the Kickstarter, there are 15 champions to choose from. That's a heck of a lot of combinations of champions to play with. Uh, yeah. Now now when you created this game, like because it's factionless, because you can pair up whoever you want. Um, I know that one concern that a lot of times game makers in general have is when you have those you know mercenary type factions that can play with multiple teams you're very concerned with creating broken combinations um Mm -hmm. and that's just with you know somebody being able to play with maybe two or three different factions and in one faction they're broken how did you guys avoid creating broken combinations or are you concerned that maybe you did and you just don't know it yet within like those 15 different champions like i mean there there's infinite possibilities at that point for sure for sure i mean there's a there's a number of different ways we've got of combating that problem uh some of them are baked into the game mechanics themselves some of them are baked into how we're going to operate with the organized play but i'll start off with the game mechanic ones um a very easy example of how we can limit how powerful any one particular model in the game can be is how the buffs, uh, how the um, when you're adding benefits to a model and when you're debuffing a model, uh, those are called boons and blights, and they are standardized across the entire game. There are five stats to any model, which are its dodge and protection, so defense and armor. Um, you've got how fast it moves, and you've got how much damage it does and how accurate it is. Literally, there are five different types of boons that add plus one to all of those. There are five different types of blights that add minus one, that put minus one to all of those. And every single ability in the game will either do, when it's changing those stats, it will be to do a boon or a blight. You can't stack these together. So a at most, an ability will only ever have plus one accuracy, plus one damage, or minus one accuracy, minus one damage. So you don't have this ridiculous stacking of stats if people want to go i'm going to take five different damage buffing models that doesn't matter you can still only ever damage buff something once um okay that makes sense yeah this you don't get this ridiculous and like you do, i'm gonna i'll pick it up just to pick on gilball a little bit like if you uh you can't go i'm gonna put minus three armor and minus four def, you know minus four defense on this model you know, you can do that in Guild Ball and you can have some ridiculous stat buffing or debuffing. You, literally, it's not possible in God Tier. It's not possible at all. In addition to that, how the Boons and Blights work is they only are in effect for the next um, the next action that affects that stat. So let's say I've got an armor debuff on your champion. The next time I do a damage roll, I get the benefit of having the armor debuff and then it comes off. Hmm, okay. It literally only affects the next action. So um, there's this very imbaked you know, baked in ways in the game for, 
for um, landsliding of or snowballing of start abilities and you must, you must to, to not happen. When it comes to the organized play, we're, um, we've got two main ways of controlling that. One is we keep talking about how the fact that campaign is the is one of the primary ways we want people to play the game. Uh, we're going to be releasing campaigns, you know, multiple things, more than one time a year. I can't remember exactly how many times we're going to be doing it, but more than one time a year for campaign uh, doc, uh, you know, campaign sets to come out. When they do, they will have um, you know different abilities for champions to use when playing with a campaign. So if a champion's not performing very well or performing too well, we know it's been up or down the extra abilities that they get in the campaign set. Uh, in addition to that, we also have we're going to be bringing in a rotation system. So we don't have enough champions out right now for this to be for this to matter. But when we get to a much higher number of champions, there will be champions that are cycled in and then cycled out of organized play and all of it. Okay. If, it, if, if people are going, we're bored of seeing this champion. We see it every single time we play the game. Maybe it's not in the next organized play cycle, and it sits out for a little while, and it'll make a return at some point. In the future. Okay, so that uh, that's a little bit different than other games that I've played. Like typically other games I've played, if you have a model, it's always viable, but this is yep. going to be one that's a little bit more like, uh, well, ma- magic is like that, right? Like where you, yeah, they, yeah, they kind of ban. Except stuff they don't bring it back. Too problematic. They will. They will often have something called, like a, I think it's called standard, um, where they have like a set. Of the latest stuff is 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 in play, and then the stuff after it gets to a certain age, it cycles out. Like we won't have we won't have something permanently cycling in, cycling out. Yeah. Things will keep coming back in. Um, and in it, because there is another element that I actually forgot to mention before, which is in champion design. So we're intentionally making sure that that every single champion that exists in the game has one or two counters to it. So there is, there will, you know, as if we're doing our jobs properly, which, you know, we hope we would, then there there will literally never be a champion that doesn't have a direct counter forever. If there's a champion that comes out and doesn't have a direct counter, you can almost guarantee it will get one the next wave of champion. Um, mm, okay. Like the, the champions that we've been working on for post-Kickstarter, okay. like, obviously, at the point where the game is now, where it's in release, we're keeping a very careful eye on what champions people are playing with and starting to do data mining and all that kind of stuff. Um, but even now, we've got our theories about what kind of champions that we're going to need to give people more tools to deal with. We've already started working on that kind of stuff for the next wave of champions. It'd be interesting to see if our predictions are correct about what champions people... It's not so much about what champions people feel are broken, so much as what champions feel they don't have enough tools to directly combat. And we've got our theories about what we're going to need to, to help out. Well, let me get your advice with this, Jamie, because I've been known to float my interest to the powerful faction slash champion. So which champion would you say is probably pretty good right now? Like you're like, yeah, this could, this is pretty strong champion. Right? Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rephrase that because you said that in a really polite way for yourself. Is that you admitting to being a bandwagoner? Yes, yes, yes. That's, I mean, I've yes, been known true. to jump on bandwagons. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hey, that's good for you guys, though, James. Yeah, he's yeah. one of those farmers like three times. <laughs> I, ha- I no joke. I have bought farmers like at least <laughs> twice, maybe three times traded. No, I, I I feel like I can be open about pretty much everything when I'm talking to you guys. I just this I don't think it's going to be. I don't think it'd be a productive thing for me to answer this particular question because it's going to be leading people in a particular way. So, so what we're trying to very we're intentionally trying to let people make up their minds about things. And I don't want to, I don't want to affect that in any negative way. Okay, okay, that's fair. I I, I I will do some research on the internet and I will get back to people. <laughs> and and Jamie, once I know what he's playing, feel free to let me know what the counter is to it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and see, so, that, that is the cool thing, though, that even let's say, you know, there is a champion that I'm like, oh, man, this is like really strong. I'm going to play it. The fact that you guys have designed that silver bullet for that champion is just a really smart move because, you know, that champion can do really strong and, you know, win a lot for you. But then it's like, oh, crap, they dropped right. the silver bullet right. and now Absolutely. he's just worthless. Well, and let me ask you about that, like the counter element. Um, is it... When somebody, like, if somebody drops a a captain and somebody else drops the proper counter, does that mean that 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 guy can't win anymore? Like, like there, there's... We have two other champions. Or, or, well, so this is what I'm asking, though, but just like the one-on-one, does it, is the counter so strong that the person who drops a proper counter is going to win, or is it just more likely than not they'll win? Like they just have the proper tools, but it's not necessarily, you know, a, a, a super likely. Over. It's just, it's just that they have advantage. For sure, it's it's definitely the latter of those two. Um, okay. Like, there's, there's a much more of an emphasis on you know the choices that you make and how you play the game, and much more of an emphasis. To be honest, there's more of an emphasis on whether you get to roll well or not with that particularly good champion um, in that situation. So there's, yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's more advantaged than I can, I'm just, I can't lose this. Um, okay. I'll pick an example for you. Actually, like, like I'm going to pick on one of my favorite champions, which is Grimgut. That's the really sort of the big, the really big sort of sick wizard type thing uh, that throws out retchlings. The thing that's really powerful about Grimgut is that Grimgut's retchlings, uh, are worth one less point when they're knocked out, which means to anybody that isn't a maelstrom, Grimgut's retchlings are worthless to take out. You don't get any to kill them. Um, but that said, uh, the, the concept of Grimgut is, who is a maelstrom, is to play another maelstrom, because they do get points for taking those retchlings out. Um, so it's not, it doesn't swing things massively against Grimgut, because they still, that enemy maelstrom is still debuffed. They're only getting one point for killing a retchling, as opposed to getting two points for killing any other champion's followers. So they have a slight advantage over Grimgut, but it's not so much that Grimgut can't overcome that. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's, what I, that's what I thought you would, you would come up with. I just kind of wanted to make sure. <laughs> Chris is worried for a second. Yeah, well, because I know your ass is going to get online and you can find like all the counters to the stuff that I like, and then you'll play those. <laughs> Because I'm going to tr- probably either be A, more lazy, or two, just too committed to like the models that I like, and yeah, I'm going to play certain things. And so I don't want you just countering my ass and always being able to beat me. <laughs> yeah, you know me too well. Yeah. yeah. This is what I have to deal with, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get you. I mean, the thing is, well, there are, there are, you know, even within the champion types that you like, there are even, there are permutations of different types of champions within a class. So even just take just take slayers, which I know is going to be your favorite. Um, so let's just take the red guys. There are so many different slayer champions out there already. Uh, you, you, you know Rangosh, the guy with big horns. He is literally very straightforward. He will throw massive numbers at people and hope that he rolls quite well on his dice. Uh, the champions that are out, I think he rolls more dice on his attacks than anybody else that's in the game. Um, however, you've also got Sneaky Pete, who is a goblin slayer champion. He doesn't roll quite as many dice on his attacks, but he is a lot higher dodge. He's a lot harder to hit. He's much more of a glass cannon. Um, and his attacks do automatic points of damage in addition to the dice rolls that he does. So if you're facing someone with a heck of a lot of armor, like Rodri, who has a, a ton of armor, if if Rangosh has a bit of a bad game, doesn't roll so well, he, he can struggle to take Rodri out. Whereas um, um, 
Rodri, on the other hand, every single one of his attacks does automatic points of damage, so he's eventually going to kill Rodri no matter what. I like that. <laughs> you just like that the guy's named Pete. Uh, I mean, not only that, it's Sneaky Pete. Sneaky Pete is also one of the best names ever made, I think. That's right. <laughs> you always do this, Pete. <laughs> I know. Well, I was just going to say, we did have a couple of just general questions just that I got from some people as we were kind of throwing this thing together. And one of the questions actually came from one of our one of our friends of the show, uh, Glenwood Morris, and he was actually asking about the double the sorry the double bell curve rolls, which I think he's talking about when you're rolling those dice, how swingy and spiky they can be because you have the doubles and then you have the blanks. So, um, I think he's more concerned about the inconsistency because I don't think people that know Glenwood would be surprised that he likes to do the math and figure the things out. I'm not so, surprised in the slightest. I know Glenwood. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he's just asking like, why did you guys go with that system? Even though we touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, just, basically the swinginess in the dice was, was absolutely intentional. Um, it was something that the, so the original sort of, in addition to Matt, he, he then handed it over to the developers. It was uh, David Carl and Alex Hall. And now, Later on, it's been Steve Margus that's been developing the game. All those guys were into doing a heck of a lot of math when it came to how the dice were designed. Uh, and they, were, they weren't done something as just, oh, this seems like a good idea. Spent quite a lot of time working out the math. Um, it's been done very intentionally to make the game quite swingy because we want Gante's dice to be a little bit less predictable. Um, we don't want a situation where someone's going, I have this number of attacks. I should do this amount of damage. Therefore, this game is kind of a formality because we know exactly what's going to happen. We want that small element of chaos of, you know what? I'm, I'm look, it looks like I'm doing well here, but if you happen to roll one spiky roll, you're right back into there, and then suddenly this game is all to play for again. Um, because it's, it all feeds into that initial idea I was talking about, about you need to feel like you're in the game, and you have to be in the game until the moment that it stops. That means in down to individual turns. We want people to feel like that they are playing the game and are in the game until the moment the turn is over. Well, and I think it's also something that that we see a lot where whether you want to say it's in a book you read or maybe it's in some kind of fantasy movie that you like to watch, but there there is that moment where it's like it looks like, you know, it's the darkest hour and then all of a sudden, you know, you have this champion just kind of like, you know, throw the gauntlet down, you know, dig in their heels and they just, you know, end up just bringing it back. And I think that's kind of a moment in a game that makes a game really awesome and cinematic. Maybe if you, if you like predictability, then, you know, these dice may not be for you in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to sum that up a little bit as well, it's about creating stories. You know, the story of this, oh, this, I only had one follower left in the unit, but you know what? He managed to roll all the doubles and take out this champion right when I needed it to, and suddenly the game was back on again. Like, that's those moments are what people remember and take away from games, and we want to be able to enable Godseer to create story points for you and take things away that you remember and that you enjoy. And then that follower gets a special paint job. Right, absolutely. And he, maybe he gets a name. Maybe he's not just a red shirt anymore. Oh, <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like Glenwood. I'm I'm sorry, but it's going to be a little swingy if you play God Tier. Uh, let's see here. Okay, Chris, go ahead and go with your question while I kind of pull up. Yeah. Another so, one here. Um, do you have any general tips for new players that make the playing the game easier? And I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Like one piece of advice that I always love to give people when they play Guild Ball, and and our listeners will know this piece of advice because we've gone over it multiple times, is 
you generally want to play your team in such a way where you're choosing the momentous results on their playbook. If you're choosing the non-momentous results, that's usually a pretty good indicator that you're not playing the game as it's designed. So do you have any tips like that that are good for how people can kind of think about things in this game to kind of make it a little bit easier to make sure that they're on track or that they're thinking about things correctly? Yeah, you're talking about tactical advice, really, aren't you? It sounds like you yeah. are. Um, yeah. So I, I think the two best bits of tactical advice I can think of for beginners is one is don't forget your banner placement. Like banners are just as kind of the ball is the unique element to guild ball for a miniatures war game. The banners are the unique elements, uh, the most unique elements of the miniatures war game when it comes to dodge here. And whereas like most, if you've played a minis war game before, you kind of know how killing stuff gets you points. Like that's a very transferable skill. Um, but the banner placement is something that you need to to stay on top of because it is points-wise just as as much of an important part of the game as taking things out and actually killing. Okay, so to add to that that element, because we've already kind of talked about the different classes, do you have general advice about banner placement with the different classes of people? For example, I think you kind of already mentioned some of it, like with the Slayers, I want to use the banners <laughs> to kind of bait in my opponents to where um, then I'm able to attack them. Is is it different with the shapers, for instance? Like generally, do shapers want to kind of put the banners off to the side? Or, or do you have general things about the classes and how they want to place banners? That's not it's not specifically related to banner placement. You kind of all it's it, you will kind of always want to place a banner in the most difficult to reach hex that you can. That's that's the same across every class. The thing that's okay. different is that different champions want to play in different parts of the field um just how like you have your wingers and your defenders and your attackers whatever in godte you've got like your champions that are happier standing in the middle and doing most of the heavy lifting and fighting and taking damage. you'll also have some uh, champions that are a little bit better when they're left alone and not taking as much attention you probably want those off to the side or maybe they're more important when you're playing a split scenario when i say a split scenario that is godte hexes that are not all clumped together in the middle split scenarios have like maybe two separate areas of godte hex um, okay. Some champions want to play on their own and left off to one side. But yeah, generally when it comes to placing your banners, it, it, it's unified among all of the classes, which is you always want to place them in an area that is the most difficult to reach as possible. And when I say don't forget your banner placements, that is literally, that's more, but because there are other abilities that your champions can use in the plot phase that aren't just your banners. So a slayer can often do a buff that makes their next attack hit harder for gives them a strength to do. Um, okay. Those are all good to use, but don't always use them at the expense of placing a banner i guess is a better way of saying what i was trying to say don't forget about you placing your banners even when you're playing with a slayer champion that wants to take things out uh, the second one is is if in doubt play your champion by their color so what that means is if you're not sure what to do with a red champion they're a slayer hit the enemy hit the enemy champions if you're not sure what you're doing with a guardian then they need to have placed their banner and they need to defend their banner like often the guardians will get a lot of buffs from just standing around and protecting their banner. So uh, I'm going to pick on Rodri, who's a dwarf champion. Um, when he is stood next to his banner, so it has to be on the field. So when he's stood next to his banner, he can't be pushed around. And that's important for Rodri because he's very slow. If he gets pushed around, he can take a while to come back to the fight. But if he stood next to his banner, he can't be pushed at all. We can't be moved. If you're playing a Maelstrom champion, don't go hit other people's champions. Go after their minions. Go after this. Go after the followers and take those guys out. So if if in doubt, play your champion by their color. Okay, that's good advice. Okay, and another question that has some people kind of talking about with God tier is that it's it's a hex based system. So 
what kind of made the developing the developers want to go to hexes instead of just having um, an open board? So a number of things, really. And, and, and being full, full disclosure with you, there was a time in Godtier's life where it wasn't hex-based. It was open movement. We did try that out, and we just decided it wasn't the route to go with this game. Um, we did it for a number of reasons. One is is to fold into this all the, a lot of the elements we're talking about, ease of access, ease of use. You don't need to measure anything. You don't need any measuring widgets whatsoever. Everything, if something says its movement is two, that is, you count two hexes, and it's the simplest thing. As long as you can count two, it's the simplest thing you can do to move the models in the game. Um, and we just decided in Godtier that we didn't, we didn't feel like the precise placement that is involved in the games, particularly the guild ball, was as important in Godtier. What were the important parts of the game is instead is going to be that order of activation choice that I was talking about before. What abilities do you use and when? You have at any one time your champion will probably have about four or five different actions that it can choose from. You only ever get to do two when you do an activation. So it's about making those difficult choices in terms of what you're going to do with your actions, which models you're going to target with your attacks, where are you going to place your banner. That's the stuff that's important. The millimeter difference between you know miniatures or other bits and pieces of placements or trying to position a model so that, they, that there isn't enough space to move between it with another model, not important in this game at all. Not everybody has a tape measure of exactness like I do. And so <laughs> I can see why you would want to you know alleviate the concerns with well, it's not only that, but I was going to say it's more like, especially new players, when you're just like, all right, we're playing this game of Guild Ball. They're like, okay, well, what do I do? I'm like, well, you can move your models wherever you want. That can be pretty overwhelming because it's like, well, do I want to go towards the middle? Do I want to go towards the side? And it, the openness of a game sometimes can really overwhelm a player, whereas if you have a system like this where you're like, there's the objectives, you have this many hexes till you get to it, figure it out. <laughs> Absolutely that. And I think that was interesting because that leads me actually into one of Glenwood's other questions. He asked, do you guys, have you ever experimented or even play tested or even considered a hex system for like a game like Guild Ball? Or is that something that's just needs to be kind of fluid? Uh, it's a conversation that I have had multiple times over the history of Guild Ball's life. And that's, that's all I'll really say about it. Yeah, okay. For better or for worse. <laughs> okay. Well, that's interesting to hear. Well, so one of the general ones that I kind of had, Jamie, just because it's definitely kind of been an interesting swing with the company, but is this something where, and you guys may not plan this, but is this something where you could see a changing of the guard where God tier is now your flagship game, or do you not envision that ever taking over Guild Ball's position? We will treat every game that we own based on how well it's doing, literally. Like, um, so there's been, there's definitely been a transition over Guild Ball's life where there was a time at which we were the Guild Ball, Steamforge Games was the Guild Ball company. It was the only game we ever made for a little while. Um, and therefore every single person in the company was working to help Guild Ball. Um, the company, lots of things have changed since then. The company's grown since then. We've put out a lot more games and we're at a point now where we have a lot of different licenses to contend with it from a shrewd business perspective. It makes the most sense to, to, uh, put proportional uh, effort into a game depending on how well it's doing. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, and I, I was going to add to it that basically from the way I've seen, like I don't, I don't know if the Kickstarter went as well as you guys may have hoped, but I, I would say that the release of God Tier has been like, I was honestly me as a Guild Ball player, I was kind of surprised how just like not only guild ball players took to God tier because I hear lots of people saying like, Oh, I'm competing to get people to come out to guild ball because they want to play God tier. 
But then I also hear people from other games who had no interest in Guild Ball that are like, man, this God tier game is pretty cool. So I don't know if you guys are happy with the release of it actually into the wild, but from what I'm looking at as just a guy that runs a podcast, I think it's been a pretty successful release as far as like people being really into the new game. We're, we're super happy with it, honestly. Um, like, and uh, going back to the Kickstarter question, it actually exceeded expectations. Like, it, made, oh, good. it did better than we thought it was going to do. Um, and the thing, when I say that, and that's not because we had low expectations of God tier, you have to set your expectations appropriately for different kind of games that you throw in a Kickstarter. This this could very easily become its own podcast discussion. So I'll try and keep it short. But literally. When you're releasing, say, the other kind of board games that we've done over Kickstarter that come with like a heavy video game license that is massively supported by, you know, a million people, whatever it is, that has a fan group on Facebook. Horizon Zero Dawn. Right. You know that's going to generate a heck of a lot more interest than a, a miniatures game that you bring out that is your own license and your own IP and no one's ever heard of it before. Like, you just have to set your expectations differently. Um, and miniatures games in general, I don't think have ever really performed anywhere near as well as board games have in general on, on Kickstarter. Um, so we set our expectations for God Tier, and God Tier actually exceeded them it did fantastically well uh, at Kickstarter. And the same thing as well for release as well. It's doing brilliantly. And we just we think that the possibilities and the future for God Tier are limitless and very, very bright. How much did uh, a game like Underworlds by GW influence God Tier? Because like, I feel like they came out, or maybe the conception of them were comparable in time period. Am I wrong in that? Like... I mean, did did you at all consider? Because that's another game that, like, it's hex based. There, it's relatively you know quick to play. Like, it doesn't take forever. Like, it, what's the overlap there? Was there any inspiration taken from that? Or yeah, for, for, I mean, there have been other hex based games you know released as well, and it, you could even say t- inspiration is kind of taken from uh, games like X Wing. X Wing doesn't have a hex based game; it has a hex based game board, but are very set maneuvers that you can perform based on the types of maneuvers that are available to your ship. And obviously they have very set templates that you use to move your ships around. It might as well be a hex-based. I mean, it wouldn't, it's not quite the same, but it might as well be a hex-based game because you have such set ways in which you can move your ship around. And that's not to say it's limited at all. I'm just trying to give an example of like something that isn't completely open movement. Yeah, there's definitely inspiration from other games, you know, around the similar time that God has been developed. The other thing to note about God development is what I was kind of saying before is that it's been in been in development for quite a long time you know it's what four years ish since gilbo was originally released and god tier has been being worked on since then it's it's had a long time to, to cook do you have a do you have anything else chris as far as questions you'd like to ask i i can't really think of any i mean uh, yeah i, I kind of got the tactical information that i was i was looking for at least as early on um and advice as far as who i'd want to play like th- those are the things that i'm always looking for when i'm I'm getting into a game is like, well, what models am I going to want to play? And how do I, how do I play this and give me a tip to where I don't get lost in how I play yeah. it? Like, and, and you gave me that, Jamie. So I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you. And you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last, the last thing I'm going to ask then is just what's the easiest way to get um, some of this God tier uh, product. Is that just going on to the steam forge site or are there a lot of like is miniature market carrying your guys' product for uh, for God tier as well? You should be able to find it. Um, you, hopefully, at your local gaming store. Like it's going through all the normal distribution channels, so it should be very. If you, if your game store you know wants to get it in, they should be able to get it in. So we we very much hope you'll be able to pick it up anywhere at your local gaming store. Uh, and, and 
it should be accessible pretty much anywhere. If you literally can't get it through a local gaming store or you don't have a local gaming store, you can always buy it through steamfordgames.com and we'll, we'll ship internationally. And if you can't get it through that, then call Jamie and he will send you his collection. Good God, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough when people like tag him on Facebook all the time, I'm sure. <laughs> I remember that like early on back in the day, like with uh, Gubs, like people would tag the design team specifically. I don't know if that still happens to you, but I always thought it was funny back in the day. Yeah, it, it occasionally, it occasionally still happens. Um, my, phone, my, phone, my phone has been permanently set to silent for about 10 years so <laughs> i should do that too all right well jamie is there anything you want to say or add that maybe we haven't uh said about god tier maybe something you just want to share generally or just anything that you have on your mind or or, or do you have anything that you want to announce that like not not as far as like big spoilers but like just like little previews about like something to keep our eyes out for in the future like uh, I well, there are there are new champions that are unannounced that are coming out this year. Um, you will have seen some. You will have seen some artwork for some of those. I think already. We've. I think we definitely showed. We've shown off artwork and miniatures for Kira. Um, that's the the sort of the the dragon lady. So she's um, comes with two, two, two very very big uh, followers that are dragons. Um, I think we've also shown off the sort of a goblin. Uh, goblin warrior which kind of looks a little bit like a samurai um and there'll be more there'll be more coming we have plans for a lot more champions coming down the line um other things i'd like to like to talk about while i'm here if you want to get involved in any of the discussions that are going on about god tier there's quite a lot of fan groups that have started none of them are really like run by steamforge but it's fine they're all great and healthy fan groups to be a part of um you also get a lot of staff commenting in those places so i think there's a I think it's called God Tier the Champions. It's probably one of the biggest fan groups I've seen on Facebook. There's also a guild, uh, sorry, God Tier uh, Discord, specific for uh, setup for for God Tier as well. It's been set up by some fans, which is going quite well. Um, and obviously, you can you can find all of the the you know, game designers, game developers on on Twitter if you want to talk to us specifically. So, yeah. Okay, good deal. Sweet. Well, we look forward to more uh, announcements with God Tier. We look forward to getting into God Tier and playing it a little bit. We'll definitely, you know, keep you updated I'll, I'll, sh- I'll shoot you a message uh, with uh you know our experiences and then um we'll share those things in the podcast as well sounds great well uh, thank you for having me on it's been a great talk and i, and I hope you i say i hope you got out of it what you wanted to get out of it oh definitely thank you yeah always great talking with you jamie and chris why don't you go ahead and sign us off and and we'll wrap this thing up all right well considering god tier and the swingy dice you are going to have a lot of fun Everyone, roll dice, throw lots and lots of salt. We'll see you next time. We're out. Later.